is the Colby Daniels Podcast, and I welcome in my great friend, Will Brewer. Uh, Will, it's been a couple weeks. Uh, we've had conflicting schedules, uh, little man's birthday party for me last Saturday. You were on vacation this week, so uh, I missed you, man. It's it's good to talk to you again. Yeah, man, lots, a lot's went down, man. Uh, had to take a little break from the world. Uh, went Unplug. Went out to Vegas, had a really good time. Yeah, 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 just had to unplug, man. It was good. Um, Vegas, man, you, you know, what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. That's a very, very good quote. So <laughs> I'm going to leave it at that. Uh, definitely, uh, in, definitely enjoyed it. But, man, it's good to be back. Good to be back in the swing of things. And before we even get going, man, I got to congratulate you on the big uh, on the big announcement, man. Well-deserved. Uh, congratulations. Thank you. Thank you. Very excited. Uh, as for, for those that may have missed it last week, uh, I announced that uh, I'm going to be joining the uh, Blitz lineup, the new sports radio station, 1170 a.m. Uh, I'm going to be on in the afternoon, Monday through Friday. So I'm really excited about that. And the best part about it all is the fact that uh, I'm going to be back on the radio, but that doesn't impact the podcast at all. So the podcast will continue like literally nothing changes with the podcast. Uh, so that's going to, uh, just keep going and, uh, yeah, it's, it's going to be great. So, um, Will and I's, uh, weekly MMA shows every week are, uh, still going to be coming at you. So, yeah. And, and look, uh, maybe, uh, maybe this means my fortunes are turning, Will, because all of a sudden <laughs> your massive lead in our, uh, our weekly picks has been cut down with, uh, with my performance last night, but, uh, we've got a couple cards to talk about rewinding over the last two weeks and then obviously there's uh there's supposed to be a celebrity boxing match or something like that going on so we'll uh we'll hit all that <laughs> yeah some some random uh youtubers fighting some mma mma guy i mean i'm sure no one's gonna even watch it so <laughs> right 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 or a lot of people will watch it but uh it's it the real question is how many people pay for it yeah that, it, well, um, I'm sure there's going to be a fair share of people who will pay for it because I think uh, th- what these guys have done in this buildup, uh, it's made people really want to watch it. So yeah. I think uh, I think they're going to have some, they're going to do some pretty solid numbers. Yeah, for sure, for sure. All right, so uh, you had a nine point lead, Will, in our picks, which uh, is is a pretty comfortable lead if I if I say so. Um, that's been cut down to five after last night. We only disagreed on two fights last night. One of them was the main event, so that was a three-point fight. And uh, both fights that we disagreed on went my way. So four points for me gained in the overall standings last night. So plus five for you. And uh, we will start with last night's main event as we record this on a Sunday morning. Will Brewer, I from the moment this fight was announced... I was absolutely excited to see what it was going to look like, uh, how exciting this thing was going to be. Edson Barboza and Giga Chikadze in their featherweight division, two guys that I, I genuinely feel like are top five caliber featherweights. And, uh, you know, Edson Barboza has been renewed, if you will, uh, moving down to 145. He has looked terrific since he dropped down in weight. Giga Chikadze has has done nothing but impress every time he's been in the octagon. And uh, they delivered last night. I thought this fight was extremely entertaining. Yeah, man, look, uh, I, I picked Barbosa going in because uh, just how he looked at 145, 
Uh, his body's looked great. He hasn't looked like he's been uh, completely sucked out or anything. And his performances has, have uh, been great, what he did with uh, Shane Burgos. Um, he lost to Dan Ige, but it was a fight that many people thought he won. So I just thought, you know, when him coming in, uh, he's got all the momentum. And I, th- I thought it was a stylistically good matchup for him, uh, a guy who would want to exchange kicks. And Barbosa is one of the best kickers in the, in the entire sport. But, uh, you know, gig is different, man. Um, I had to see this one for me to for me to fully be like, OK, this guy is for real. But, yeah, uh, Giga Chikase, that guy is special. Uh, his kicks are lethal. Uh, his pressure. Uh, after a while, man, uh, Edson just succumbed to the pressure, man. Uh, and then the kicks were just adding up. And uh, Giga just knew when to turn it on. Uh, yeah. That guy is special. He's a problem at 145. He is a problem, and I think I actually tweeted last night, he is a problem. Uh, I, I, I'm i a fan of this guy. I, I I was really interested to see, you know, because we've seen so much of Edson Barbosa over the years, and obviously he's been great since he moved down to 145. And I think for me, I, I liked Giga to win this fight. I thought it was going to be a great fight. I, I But I just wanted to see what he looked like physically compared to Edson Barbosa, who you could say is the gold standard at 145 right now. I mean, he looks terrific. He is big at that weight. He's fast for the most part at that weight. And to see the quickness of Giga and to see how much quicker he was than Edson Barboza was a little bit shocking to me. I'm not sure I expected him to look that fast. Uh, The precision of his striking is just, I mean, off the charts. He is a sniper in the stand-up, and I I, th- I thought it was also goodwill, especially in that second round last night, to see Giga face a little adversity, right? We saw in the second round uh, Barboza come out of his corner. His co- corner told him he lost the first round and needed to get one back, and I thought in the second round Edson did a good job at just going forward and pressuring Giga and making him a little uncomfortable, and it looked like after a, a terrific round one, that Giga did look uncomfortable for periods of that second round, and for him to kind of fight through that and uh, and you know get into the third round and still be able to do the things that he wanted to do, I was I was just massively impressed. Yeah, it, it takes uh, fights like this for you to really see where someone's at, and uh, Giga's passed. He's passed all of the tests. Uh, Edson tried to pressure him, uh, and you know he. There was some moments of adversity, and he uh, passed through that with flying colors, came back in the third, and pretty much took the, took the pressure back to Edson. And after a while, it just kept, kind of seemed like Edson was just gassed, and uh, Giga was able to land uh, some incredible shots. Man, like you said, uh, to call him a sniper, I think that's a perfect uh, way to describe him. He is a sniper, and he's so accurate when he's throwing these kicks. Um, Edson took some kicks that... Uh, that a normal person uh, wouldn't be able to take. Like we saw Cub Swanson take a, a, a shot to the liver and he uh, completely broke down. Um, Edson took a lot of damage, but uh, but still, man, Giga, like you said, he's a sniper. And he, uh, going forward, he deserves one of these guys at the, in the top of the division. I thought uh, I thought the winner of this was going to be given a big opportunity, regardless of which way it went. And you know, a big reason for that is Ed, Edson Barboza. We've seen him forever. We know how good he is. He's looked great at 145. And then on the other side, if you're Giga Chikadze, he's also looked great. And then to add that massive feather in his cap to of of beating Edson Barboza. I mean, either way, this was going to be the winner shooting up. I, I think as far as 
what they deserve in their next fight. And I think when you consider the fact that Giga was able to finish Edson Barboza, he calls out Max Holloway. Uh, look, I don't know if he's going to get Max, but I, I think that Giga deserves one of the, the top five guys in that division. I, I think he's a problem. If people want to throw out the questions about his ground game, I, I mean, sure, that's fine. If I... I don't know what the answer is to how good he is on the ground. Um, when you look at the the top five guys right now in that division, I think Korean Zombie, Brian Ortega, two guys that you know you wonder if they would have a massive advantage if a fight went to the ground. But I would love to see a Yair matchup and or a Max Holloway matchup. I know he he tried to get the Yair matchup after uh, I think it was the Max Holloway cancellation. And, uh, and Yair either turned it down or didn't respond at all. But um, I, I, Giga right now is, I, I think he said last night, at the, at the prime of his career, he's 33 years old, he's putting on terrific shows every time he's in the octagon. I, I think they need to make the move. Let's, let's pull the trigger on Giga Chikadze versus one of the premier 145ers. Yeah, he definitely deserves it, man. Uh, when, you, when you have Cup Swanson, you beat Cup Swanson in the way that you did. And you follow that up in a main event against Edson Barbosa. You definitely uh, deserve a, a top guy. Um, you know, I think uh, Max and Yair are fighting uh, at some point. Uh, and if if, the, if Yair wasn't in the picture, I mean, I would say just let Giga and Max fight. But um, I think now uh, Korean Zombie just came off a big win. Um, I think I think that would be a great matchup to see. Because uh, Green Zombie, uh, you saw what he did with Dan Iga. He took the fight to the ground. He, he fought a fight that not many people knew that he could fight. Uh, I think if you want to see someone kind of test uh, Giga's ground game, I think uh, the Korean Zombie is a, is a perfect matchup for him. And then if, uh, if the ground game isn't working for Korean Zombie, he can go out there and be in a war. We've seen uh, all the wars that uh, Korean Zombie's been in, in his career. So um, I think... Um, in the terms of the pecking order, I think Korean Zombie is left without a dance partner. And uh, I think he is that guy. Give me that fight all day long. Moving on from Saturday night's main event, Will, we had two tough finale matches. Brian Battle and Gilbert Urbina at 185, as well as Ricky Tercios and Brady Heastan at 135. Your thoughts on the tough winners? Yeah, I mean, Brian Battle, he came in as the last pick of Team Volkanovski, and then he just completely uh, wiped through this competition. Uh, as the underdog, he really uh, made a good name for himself throughout this whole uh, tournament. Uh, he, I love his skills. Uh, and, and, and then in the fight against Urbina, Urbina came out extremely aggressive, uh, had him hurt a few times, but uh, he battled through it, and uh, in the second round got the finish. Um Urbina took the fight on short notice. Of course, it was supposed to be Trey Gore, but uh, he took the fight on short notice. was really aggressive, but, you know, Brian Battle uh, just proved to be too good for him. And uh, Ricky Tercios and Brady, uh, Brady Heastan, that was everything that I thought it was going to be. Uh, both of those guys have just uh, – their wheels are just uh, incredible. Uh, both tough guys. Uh, that fight was – split decision. It could have went either way, but – I think the right guy won uh, in Ricky Tercio. So um, uh, both of those guys proved themselves on the show. And then uh, now they'll, they're the ultimate fighters. Uh, the Tercios he stand fight is interesting because I would say I think it was better than I expected it to be. 
And at the same time, I thought while it was a great fight, it was an entertaining fight, it was thrilling from start to finish, I didn't think it was as difficult as maybe the uh, the broadcast crew did to judge. I, I felt like uh, while Brady Heastan put out a great effort and showed a tremendous amount of toughness, uh, once again, I, I felt like Ricky Tercios did enough in those rounds to really distance himself. Again, it was a great fight. I thought it was great drama. But, you know, after those rounds, like the fight ended and I, I felt pretty comfortable as far as my scoring goes that, that Ricky Tercios had won that thing. Yeah, uh, but uh, it goes back to that control type thing, right? Yeah. Like I was on I was on the side of damage this time. I was with you. I thought Ricky did enough damage uh, to win that fight. Um, but, you know, Brady controlled him uh, in the first round, and he had some moments of control time in the second, but I thought uh, the combinations, and, like whenever they were separated, I, th- I just right. thought Ricky was really letting loose, and uh, uh, the numbers kind of backed that up. So um, I, I could kind of see it from a control standpoint, but I definitely thought Ricky did enough to win. Yeah, and look, I, I think there's also the point of, you know, how do you score a control situation when – you have one guy on top, but the guy that's on bottom is dealing out all the damage, right? Like, that's one of those things where it's like, this guy's getting credit for control time simply because of the position he has, but he's the one taking the damage, and it's the guy on bottom that's actually doing the work, and I don't know, it's, you know, it's it's going to be one of those things that everybody is going to view that differently in every single fight, and there are always a lot of circumstances that probably impact how you feel about each individual situation, but... Uh, like I said, I, I felt like at the end of that fight, I felt confident that Ricky Tercios had won, and I didn't even think it was that close on the scorecard, although the fight was a lot of fun and was a great fight. I, I felt I felt pretty comfortable, but uh, that was that was an incredible fight, and honestly, it kind of took me back to, to UFC 1. I, I think they even referenced that in the broadcast, but I was thinking about that while watching the fight live, going back to, uh, to Forrest Griffin and uh, Stefan Bonner. Yeah, you could see like both of these guys wanted it, and yes. uh, they really tested each other's wills. Um, you you could tell on the show that Ricky had um, his will was just out of this world, and Brady being so young, uh, I think that that's something that I kind of wanted to see. I wanted to see his will tested, and he proved to all of us that he is tough as nails. Um, just Ricky just has that uh, little bit of experience yeah. over him, um, and just you know the his pace. Uh, after a while, his pace was just starting to get uh, crazy. So, um, yeah, it, it definitely gave me Forrest Griffin and Stefan and Stephen, uh, Bonner vibes as well. But uh, both of those guys uh, showed killer will for sure. Also, Brady, he's staying only 22 years old. So to think about Man, what 22. kind of guy he could become is pretty awesome. And then Ricky Tercios is a... Uh, I mean, when you think about his style and just, uh, like you said, the willpower... Uh, it's it's very Tony Ferguson esque, right? It's it's unorthodox. Yeah. He comes at you from um, a bunch of different angles, and even in the scrambles, it, it's very Tony Ferguson like, right? It's just like you don't know what he's gonna do, but it's going to be something. You're never going to have this guy like still at any point in the fight. Like even when you're on top of him, he's going to move and try and wiggle his way out of it somehow. But uh, that was that was a ton of fun. And then you mentioned battle in Urbina, Urbina. I give him a lot of credit, taking the fight on short notice, came out guns blazing, and uh, Brian Battle ultimately gets it done. I think we are in the same boat 
in terms of thinking if Trey Gore had been available in this thing, he was, I think, throughout this thing, both of our favorites to win at, at 185. Man, it, it sucks that he wasn't able to uh, to compete. But uh, throughout the show, man, he, his power, his, his kicks were so powerful. His hands uh, had dynamite in them. Uh, he just seemed like uh, just too strong for these guys. Um, it would have been uh, cool to see him fight uh, to fight battle because, uh, you know, that's the matchup. They both earned their way there. But uh, Trey Gore, man, uh, he, he just seemed like he was too powerful. And in the fight leading up to the to the finale, when he fought uh, Urbina, those those combinations that he was hitting Urbina with and, and got getting the, the knockout, man, he, he's a special fighter. And I think um, when he gets to the UFC, he'll still uh, be a special guy. So. Uh, sucks that he couldn't get there, but uh, I think he's got a good future for sure. Yeah, I, I was uh, I was happy for Brian Battle to get the win, but uh, there's no doubt in my mind we will see Treshawn Gore in the UFC uh, when he gets healthy. And I, I believe I read it was a meniscus uh, for Treshawn Gore. So when he does recover, I, ex- I fully expect that we're going to see him in the octagon. All right, this was the fight I was probably, I mean, beyond the main event, the fight I most look forward to this week welterweights Daniel Rodriguez also taking this fight on short notice and Kevin Lee which I think is a really interesting story and we can talk about Kevin Lee's future in a moment but uh Will this was a fight that I just thought when you think about Kevin Lee and the long layoff it's been a long time since he's been in the octagon I think the beginning of last year right uh February or March ish of 2020 um right moving up to 170 and getting a guy like Daniel Rodriguez out of the gate. I mean, that's a tough ask. Uh, Kevin Lee is an extremely talented guy, but bottom line for me was you've, you've not been in the octagon in a long time and you're going up 15 pounds is a lot of weight and your impacts are not going to be as devastating going up 15 pounds. And I think you're also going to feel the impact a lot more going up 15 pounds, and certainly that that's what I felt like I saw. That's what I expected. That's what I saw. I just felt like Daniel Rodriguez, the, the impact of his shots were just a lot more impactful, I guess, than Kevin Lee's. Yeah, look, um, before, before I get in on uh, Kevin Lee, I first want to say, before this Daniel Rodriguez fight was made, he was going to fight Sean Brady, who is an undefeated prospect. So he was definitely going after the toughest matchup that he could get. So uh, I give him props for uh, for calling out the toughest matchups and, and everything like that. So credit to him. But also, I just want to I, I just think at 170, Kevin Lee, uh, I, I just don't think it works uh, because his style, the way that he can be effective. I think it's best suited for for a lightweight for 155. He's had his his weight struggles. He's a pretty big guy. But um, at 170, I think these guys are, are, are too big for him, like. The Daniel Rodriguez is of the world, of course. Sean Brady. I think he's going to run into a lot of the same problems. Uh, if he's not able to to overwhelm you with with his wrestling um, uh, on the feet, uh, he's not really a power puncher. Uh, he doesn't have like powerful kicks or anything. His his way to victory is is through his grappling. And if he's not able to really be successful at that, he's not going to have a successful uh, a successful run at welterweight. And I think it's his uh, his style is best suited for lightweight, where he can be the bigger guy, where he can overwhelm some of these guys. I think he's going to have to make a commitment to to that. But um, like you said, 
Daniel Rodriguez's shots was having uh, a lot more of an effect than Kevin Lee's was. And I just think it just goes to show uh, the weight difference of the guys that he was fighting at 155 to 170. It uh, makes a huge difference. And, and look, I think Daniel Rodriguez even mentioned that he's been working on his ground game, but like nobody's talking about Daniel Rodriguez as, you know, a, a ground game specialist by any means. And, and the fact that, uh, you know, I, I, I gave Kevin Lee the first round because of the way that it ended and obviously him having success. But I mean, the rest of the fight, we didn't really see him able to duplicate that. And there were a couple opportunities for that. And, and, uh, Daniel Rodriguez, to his credit, showed the improvement, but I also wonder how much of that is just size and strength at this weight versus 155. And and for me, I just kind of felt like that, that played a role here uh, on top of the striking. So uh, Daniel Rodriguez is a guy that, uh, Will, when you, when you look at what he's done in a short amount of time in the UFC, like how can you not like watching this guy fight. He takes fight on, fights on short notice. He's never shy about getting in the octagon against anybody uh, to take on. You know, this opportunity obviously is is really going to give him a big chance at welterweight to fight somebody with a big name. Yeah, th- I think this was a win-win situation for him uh, taking this fight against a name like Kevin Lee. Um, and I think it was a very winnable fight from, from the beginning for him. And he went out there and he proved uh, that he could beat a guy like Kevin Lee who has a who has a wrestling base. Uh, sure, Kevin Lee was uh, the smaller guy, but uh, he, Kevin Lee is still te- very talented. And Daniel Rodriguez took the fight to him, rocked him on an occasion. So um, I'm really impressed with his striking. I'm really uh, impressed with his IQ. Um, I think he's only growing. Uh, these short notice fights that he's been taking, uh, literally killing himself to make the weight. Um, it's cost him in some fights, but I think it's only helped him grow. And uh, Daniel Rodriguez, uh, definitely uh, here in the welterweight division, is making a name for himself. Uh, he deserves a top 15 guy next for sure. So I was actually at the Kevin Lee-Michael Chiesa fight at UFC Fight Night in Oklahoma City when Kevin Lee defeated Michael Chiesa, and I believe that was, uh, that was 155. Yeah. Since that fight... Kevin Lee is two and five. He's lost five of his last seven. The losses. Now, this is where I think this is an interesting conversation. The loss, Tony Ferguson, who, you know, at that point in time, Tony Ferguson was, you know, on the rush more of like baddest dudes on the planet. Um, Then he beats Edson Barboza, loses to Ally Quinta. Then he goes up to 170, loses to RDA, comes back to 155, beats Gregor Gillespie then loses early last year to the current 155 champ, Charles Oliveira, then goes back up and loses to Daniel Rodriguez last night. So, like, it sounds really bad. He's lost five of the last seven. Right. Two of those are at 170, which I think we are in agreement. I don't like him at 170. I like him a lot more at 155. So you throw those those two out the window, and it's, it's still a two and three record at that point, but... One of those is to the champion right now, the current champ, Charles Oliveira, and the other is to a guy that you know, missed multiple opportunities to potentially be the champion and was certainly at the elite level when those guys fought in Tony Ferguson. So I, I think that like, if you're super down on Kevin Lee, you know, reading between the lines a little bit, maybe pump the brakes, but there's no doubt that he's got to feel some urgency with whatever he does next. Absolutely. Um, 
Yeah, I never liked Kevin Lee at 170. Uh, I think I told you uh, last week. I, I just don't. Or, I just don't like um, his skill set at 170. I think his he's best suited to overwhelm guys to be the bigger guy and overwhelm them uh, at 155. For me, I I don't really care to see him uh, at 170 anymore because I think we're going to see the same type of of fight like we did with Daniel Rodriguez. If he's fighting someone bigger than him, uh, and that's going to be the case the majority of the time, uh, if you sign someone bigger than him, he's not going to be able to overwhelm them unless they just really aren't able to to grapple like that. Um, I think he's really going to have to make a commitment to 155, to his nutrition, uh, getting his body right. Um, he's He missed weight uh, a couple of times at 155, but I think he's going to have to make a commitment uh, to get down to 155, do it the right way, do it the healthy way, and then go from there. Because uh, 155, even though even though it's one of the best talent-rich divisions in the UFC, uh, Kevin Lee is, I still think he's a major player in that division. I still think a lot of those matchups are really good matchups for him. So I think if he makes that commitment, we could he could really uh, revamp his career. He just has to make that commitment. And I think there are still fights to be made for him at 155. I think you could go back to the Tony Ferguson fight. Yeah. I think sure. you could go back to RDA as well at 155 instead of 170 this time. Um, you know, I know he has, he, in the past talked about wanting to, to fight the best wrestlers in the world. And, and, uh, you know, Islam maybe down the road could be an option. I'm sure that by the time that would be an option though, Islam's probably, uh, looking toward the belt and, and maybe not where Kevin Lee is currently slotted. But I, I do think there are some good opportunities still at 155 for him. And, uh, again, it's he, there's going to have to be a sense of urgency to get in the win column because of the record, but I also just don't think it's like the hit the panic button situation when you kind of look at what those seven fights look like and the ups and the downs and who the fights have been against and you know when they occurred. Uh, I, I I I still think Kevin Lee could be an, an impactful 155er. For sure, I still think he's. Um... Right now, I think he could probably be a top 10 uh, guy at light, at lightweight. I forgot. I think he was ranked at lightweight still, uh, but I think he he matches up well with most of these guys. I mean, you see how Islam has uh, ran through this division with a wrestling base, uh, with a grappling base. I think Kevin Lee can follow that in a way. Uh, his his wrestling is, is very underrated. I mean, I feel like he doesn't really use it as much as he should. Um, maybe uh, the the weight cuts are are an issue for him, or that much of an issue that he doesn't use his wrestling as much as he should. But um, his best performances, the Chiesa fight, um, Trinaldo uh, many moons ago. I mean, a, a lot of his good performances, uh, even Gregor Gillespie, they're at 155 and they're with him using uh, his wrestling. I mean, he has improved his striking, working with uh, Faraz Sahabi and everything, but. His wrestling base is, I mean, that's his claim to fame right there. So, and I think it's best at 155. So he's going to, I think he just needs to make that adjustment. Just go down 155, do it the healthy way. And I think he's still one of the best lightweights in the world. Another tough matchup on this card, Andre Petrosky and Michael Gilmore. If you remember uh, watching tough, Michael Gilmore was uh, the fighter that was an alternate, quit his job, stayed in Las Vegas, hoping that the opportunity would present itself, and uh, that actually occurred. He, he was brought in on short notice. Didn't win his fight, but, you know, the UFC absolutely loves guys that are willing to, 
you know, take these types of chances, and he was rewarded with a UFC fight night opportunity against Petrosky. Um, Andre Petrosky went into this, and I think most people felt like he was the favorite uh, to win uh, the the 185 uh, tough division, and he he loses in the semifinal to the eventual champion Brian Battle, but a guy that uh, clearly the UFC still thinks a lot of. Yeah, it's a good story. Uh, it's a great story with Gilmore, how he just quit his job and put all of his chips into wanting to be a, a, a UFC fighter. Um, came in on short notice. Uh, I think it was just a couple of days, and then he uh, and he had to fight. Uh, of course, it didn't go his way, but uh, like you said, the UFC respects guys that take fights on short notice. And then uh, going into this fight with uh, Petrosky, everyone thought, that Petrosky was, was going to be the guy who was the favorite, who was going to uh, win this competition. I think he was probably the first pick uh, of Team Ortega. And uh, he his first fight, he looked really good. Um, it looked like uh, he looked like the guy who was who deserved to be the favorite. But uh, like you said, he lost a battle. But in this fight, um, I mean, he definitely seems like he has the style to be uh, a pretty solid UFC fighter. He took the fight to Gilmore, ended up finishing him. Uh, so, I mean, he got the opportunity, made the most of his second opportunity with the UFC. So, um, I think Petras is going to be a pretty solid prospect here. Agreed. A guy that I think, you know, you obviously is a skilled wrestler, but is going to have to work on the rest of the game. And, you know, the more time he gets inside the octagon, the more time he spends on the other elements uh, I, I I do think he has a lot of upside. All right, the main card opened up with uh, Mahmoud Muradov and Gerald Mearshart. And, Will, this was a fight that uh, I thought Muradov was going to be able to finish in the first round. And I, I know people love Gerald Mearshart. He's been around forever. He's a fan favorite. Uh, I was happy to see him come back. But something, re- you know, something occurred to me last night after this fight ended Mearshart was in a lot of trouble, and if you remember, he he kicks Muradov in the jewels, and <laughs> Muradov takes, I, I don't even remember how long, but it felt like the entire five minutes, and at that point in time, Mearshart was not in good shape, and if you watch that fight before that point and after that point, completely different Gerald Mearshart, and that's one of those situations where a, uh, you know, a warning like, I, I, I don't think he should have lost a point, but if you're telling me, like, that didn't impact the fight because by the time Muradov was finally able to go again, Mearshard had completely recovered from all the damage he had taken pre-nutshot. <laughs> yeah, man. Uh, yeah, that situation is pretty tough because, like you said, you don't want to take a point because, I mean, there was no other um, illegal strikes or any anything dirty before that, but... Um, that definitely changed uh, the whole fight. Um, and uh, credit to Mearshart because he took he got he took those five minutes. He recovered and he, he immediately put the pressure on Muradov and ended up getting the finish. Um, you know, credit to him because you know Hamza knocked him out uh, in a in a big spot for for his career. He knocked him out with one punch. So everyone was kind of writing him off, and he was the biggest underdog on the card. So, I mean, it's kind of good to see him get a win like sure. this after what happened to him last fight. But then again, it's just like you don't want to see it like that, how he was hurt and then he had to come back uh, after a, after the five-minute layoff, recover, and then get the win like that. But, I mean, I guess he'll take a win any way he can. 
Uh, I think he got a performance bonus as well, but, you know, yeah. I, I guess that's just a fight game. Right, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, a couple thoughts on a few of these uh, prelim matchups. Um, we've talked about Abdul Razak Al-Hassan in the past. He desperately needed oh. a W, and uh, holy cow, Will, the, the kick was uh, just otherworldly. And I think Sid yeah. Kiriko into another world. Yeah, man. I mean, I think that was pent up frustration combined <laughs> with combined with desperation. Uh, just all in all in one shot, man. Uh, he needed that kick to land. He needed a big moment, and that this fight couldn't have went any better for Al Hassan. You see the talent. You see the power. Uh, he was having weight trouble at 170. Um, he went in, uh, into his last fight as a big favorite and then kind of just dropped the ball. But, um, this was a big spot for him and it couldn't have went any better for him. I'm, uh, I was happy for him, uh, because he definitely needed it. Uh, the fight before that Wellington Terman and Sam Alvey, have you ever seen somebody lose two points like within a minute? Yeah, that was, that was so weird, man. Uh, yeah, two two points. Two points, one yeah. Minute. yeah. They take yeah, a point, I mean, and then like within, I, I, it may have been less than a minute, but it was really quick. Within a point being taken from him, another eye poke, another point. Yeah, and I mean, maybe maybe he doesn't understand um, uh, English that well, but like, come on, man, the referees tell him again and again, giving him warnings, telling him keep your hands up and everything. Like, come on, man, you got to make that adjustment. Uh, but I, I mean, I'm, and I'm sure his corner is over telling him like, Hey man, like, you know, you're losing points, but, but now after two points and then it, it affects the fight like that, it, it's, it, it's just crazy. For sure. Uh, all right. Last one, uh, for me. And if you've got a, a thought on any of these other fights, uh, feel free to, to throw it out there. But, uh, I was, I was excited to see Dustin Jacoby and Darren Stewart as well. Uh, Dustin Jacoby once again looks fantastic, and uh, certainly his second time in the UFC has been pretty fruitful. Yeah, Dustin Jacoby, he's a, a very uh, solid prospect at light heavyweight. Um, and a fight with Darren Stewart. Uh, Darren Stewart's normally a middleweight, but he's been fighting at 205. But uh, I was curious to see how Jacoby was going to fight against someone who um, is kind of a power puncher who who will take chances. But Dustin Jacoby just proved that he's got uh, his talent is just out there. His skill is just crazy. Um, I think he's a good prospect. He's got the size. Um, I think he's got, he's a pretty solid prospect at 205 for sure. All right, let's rewind to uh, a week ago from Saturday. And just real quick, it, you can throw out also any other thoughts that you have. I, I was really just wanting to hit the main event from last week, and that was Jared Cannonier and Kelvin Gastelum. Uh, I think a couple different angles for me. We've got to talk about the money part of this uh, in a second and Jared Cannonier's comments about uh, being broke and, and all that. But for me, it just starts with Jared Cannonier being a top five middleweight and having a main event opportunity. And did he do enough? You know, when you, st- when you hear Jared Cannonier's name, people say, you know, title contender. Did he do enough to solidify himself as a title contender? And while I think it was a good fight and I give him credit, for me, I, I don't think it was even close to doing enough to warrant being put in a title situation as is. Yeah, um, I think he's going to need another win for sure. I mean, uh, beating a guy like Kelvin Gastelum, um, 
Kelvin's really tough. Everybody knows how tough he is. Um, he's going to give you uh, a really solid fight. He's going to make you, uh, he's going to bring out your skills. Uh, he's, he's not going to uh, let you just be, be good at being a power puncher. You have to use all of your skills. So um, I was impressed with Jared going the full five rounds, uh, um, making the adjustments whenever Kelvin uh, would do something different. Uh, so I was impressed by that. I was impressed to see Jared go the full five rounds. But, uh, yeah, I think he needs another win. Um, Kelvin's lost, what, three of his last four, four of his last five, something like that. I don't think a win over Kelvin Gastelum really gets you a title shot, especially after you just lost your previous fight. So, uh, And now um, you got Brunson and Till. You have these other middleweight matchups, who are, and all of these matchups are kind of um, logjammed to, to yeah. see like who's going to be that guy who's next. So um, I think there, there could be a, a, a performance uh, from Brunson or Till if someone gets a finish or an yeah. impressive performance that, that will easily leapfrog Jared Cannonier because you look back at it and you're like, well, Jared Cannonier went to decision with Kevin Gaston, who's lost four of his last five. I mean, you don't really want to look at it like that, but that's just right. kind of how it is. Five of last six, actually. Five of last six. So, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're a Brunson or Till and you get a win, uh, you can look back at uh, Cannonier and say, well, the guy you beat is the last five is last six, yeah. and then it kind of shuts down everything that Cannonier did. Well, and, and look, maybe the dust clears after Till and Brunson, and neither one of those guys establishes themselves either as, you know, like super impressive in that specific matchup, and it is Cannonier. But, you know, as it stands today, I think there, I would probably wait to see what else develops before I would say that uh, Cannoneer would be next in line. And I think a lot of that is punctuated by the fact that the last time we saw him was against Robert Whitaker. Robert Whitaker looked great in that matchup. Robert Whitaker also last fought Kelvin Gastelum before Jared Cannoneer, and Robert Whitaker looked incredible against Kelvin Gastelum. And I, I it just right. I, I think you just see the gap of Robert Whitaker about to fight for the belt and that gap when they when Whitaker fought Cannoneer and the gap between what Whitaker did against Gastelum and what Cannoneer did against Gastelum. And it just I don't know. I'm not saying that he's not good or that, you know, he doesn't uh isn't close, but I just that performance for me wasn't like Jared Cannoneer's gotta be next. So I, I hope right. that uh, I hope that he is able to uh, get an opportunity at some point. Uh, I would, you know, I think there are still some really good matchups for him as well. Um, the Darren Till Derek Brunson matchup, as you talked about, is also uh, going to go a long way in terms of figuring out what the the number one contender looks like following Adesanya and uh, and Robert Whitaker, but. Uh, Jared Cannonier, man, he mentions after the fight that he is broke and that um, he he wants a title shot, but he also needs to uh, get in the octagon and make some money. And this is, I mean, this is the the ugly part of the sport, right? Yeah, you know, it's it's sad to to see uh, a lot of these high level fighters, um, especially a guy like Cannonier. And I mean, his reasons are valid. I mean, he talks about how he wants to take care of his family. Um, but you know, he's fought three times in three years and that's just, you know, um, I don't know how much he, he's, he's made or or what his contract is, but three times in three years when, when normally, uh, someone fights three to four times a year, um, fighting three times in three years, that's not going to get it done. Um, so, you know, I feel for him. 
yeah. uh, and his fa- and his family. Uh, you know, he said that his wife is having to uh, uh, take jobs. You know, she's like training to be to be something just because um, Jared hasn't been able to uh, hold up his end of the bargain uh, with with uh, with the money. Uh, so he's only been fighting three times in in three years. You know, he's been hurt, of course, and stuff. But um, you know, it, it is the ugly part of the sport, and you, you know, a lot of fighters. Especially now that you, that you see these uh, MMA guys making this big amounts of money fighting right. YouTubers in in boxing, um, it really just shines an ugly light on on MMA or on the UFC. Right, no doubt. And and look, I, I'm not going to pretend to know the the UFC's financial situation and and you know how the pie is split up uh, per card amongst you know the participants and all that. Um, I, I think that everybody that's involved in this sport believes that fighters deserve better pay. But as you mentioned, I I think there's also the, you, you have to be active as well. And, you know, one fight a year. And sometimes this, again, it's part, part of the struggle with this sport is there are things outside of your control at times also, you know, that, that can prevent you from fighting. Uh, Sometimes it's the other guy. Sometimes you have injuries. I mean, there are just, there are things that can happen to keep you from fighting as often as you would like to, but if you are the promotion, like, I mean, I don't know. You can't just put people on salary, right? Like, you have to show up and you have to deliver because that's, I mean, that's ultimately what gets people to do this. That's what drives people to do this. So it's, uh, you know, I, I see both sides of the equation for sure. And, you know, I, I think that they could probably in some way pay these guys more money. But at the same time, like, you have to be fighting and you have to be motivated by success and winning fights at the same time for, for you and them to both prosper. Right. And you, you, you can't be one of these guys who, um, you win a fight and you just sit, you'd be like, well, I want to spend time with my family. I want to, uh, I want to go on vacation. If you are one of these guys who's not making the type of money that you're, that you're looking for, uh, you have to be active. You have to fight three to four times a year. I mean, Conor McGregor, He's making millions of dollars, sure, but he was a guy who had to fight four or five times a year before he really exploded. Uh, John Jones, he was uh, fighting four times a year before he really exploded. So, um, like you said, you you see both sides. I see both sides. I mean, uh, of course, we would love to see there be a happy medium where these guys are taking more fights, but also um, where where the UFC is able to pay these guys more, but... You know, of course, I don't really know what the answer is. I don't, I'm sure no one really knows what the answer is. Right. Um, of course, fighters have been talking about uh, having a union or whatever. Uh, I'm not sure how far that would go. But um, when you see these uh, these other uh, organizations like the PFL um, and, and Bellator giving out a million dollars and then the, 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 um, the YouTubers fighting the boxing matches and stuff like uh, and they're. Tyron Woodley's making the biggest purse of his life. Anderson Silva's making more money than he's ever made. You know, like, <laughs> and then when you think about it, like, Tyron Woodley is a former welterweight champion who was one of the pound for pound best fighters in the world. Anderson Silva was the pound for pound best fighter in the world, but they move away from the UFC and now they're making more money than they ever had when they right uh, than the, when they were in the UFC. So something's got to be done. I don't know what the answer is, but you just want to see uh, the UFC being the biggest. Um, MMA organization in the world, you want to see them um, pay their fighters a little bit better. Look, I think the one thing that we can all agree on, no matter what you do for a living, when 
you're waiting on a paycheck and automatically 60% of it is gone before you even touch it to pay your bills. Oh, that sucks. Yeah. That sucks. Yeah. That sucks for sure. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you mentioned uh, you mentioned YouTubers, Will. I think that's the perfect segue for us to wrap this thing up. It is Jake Paul and Tyron Woodley tonight. Um, man, this thing has uh, this thing's gotten a lot of hype the last couple days, and I know a lot of people that have been anti the whole Jake, idea of Jake Paul boxing and all that. But I also know a lot of people that have got caught up in the hype over the last couple days. You know, they've done a really good job of selling this uh, Showtime. Um, they've done a great job uh, putting these guys out there. They've been on all the uh, the big media outlets uh, doing all these different interviews. They've they've done face to face press conferences, all different types of stuff. Um, so Showtime's really behind this. Um, I think what they have with Jake Paul, it's, it's something that's really unprecedented and it's something that people can really get behind. Uh, Jake Paul's fighting in his hometown against uh, an MMA legend uh, like Tyron Woodley. You know, at first, uh, you know, through this whole MMA versus Jake Paul YouTuber type thing, uh, I wasn't really into it at first. Uh, Like with the whole Ben Askren thing, I wasn't really (laughs) into that. Yeah. Uh, Because I kind of felt like Ben Askren took a, took a, a fall in a way. Um, because I, I just felt like, you know, Ben Asher is tougher than that. But, you know, as I as this fight's come along and the build up and everything, I think I'm there. I, I think I really want to see this one. Uh, and of course, I'm a big fan of Tyron. Uh, you know, he's almost 40 and everything. But uh, I think he's got another uh, I think he's got another special performance in him. So I'm, I'm right. thinking on that. I'm hoping Tyron gets it done. Uh, but then again, you kind of want to see Jake Paul get a win because if he wins, like, what's next? You know, of course, uh, all the rumblings of, like, Nate Diaz, Conor McGregor, all these different names uh, coming to mind. So uh, the result of this fight, uh, it's big. So it feels like a big fight, and I'll definitely be tuned in. Is Tyron Woodley officially your pick? Uh, Yeah, T was okay. my pick, man. All right, all right. I, you said part of you wants Jake Paul to win just so this thing can continue. Uh, zero part of me wants Jake Paul to win this fight. <laughs> like zero part. I want Tyron Woodley to land the big overhand right, like out of the gate, KO and put an end to this nonsense. The problem is, I don't think that's going to happen. I think that, I think that the Paul brothers are extremely smart people Despite, you know, what we see on YouTube, I think they're extremely smart people. I think they're very calculated in the moves that they're making as far as as these matchups go. I think that uh, you mentioned Tyron Woodley's age. Jake Paul's significantly younger. You look at the, I mean, if, if you've seen the weigh-ins, Jake Paul's significantly bigger. It's, I mean, there's a pretty large, I think, size difference between the two guys. Jake Paul has done nothing but train boxing for how long now? Like, I, I'm not saying that he's a great boxer. I'm not, I'm not saying that. But anybody that thinks he sucks is full of shit. Like, the guy has put right. in work, and he's, he's, he's decent. Like, he can box. Again, now, I'm not, if he's fighting a real boxer, then maybe he does look terrible. But he's not fighting real boxers. So the guy can box. The guy has some skill. And obviously he has some power because he's knocking people out. So 
I, I, I hope that I am wrong. But I think they're very calculated in their matchmaking, and uh, I think Jake Paul wins. I, I, wow. Tyron, Tyron Woodley is an MMA champion. Yeah. Tyron Woodley's not a boxer. Like this isn't MMA. This is boxing. This is what this is what people like. I, I think you just think like, or not you, but like you as in people in general. Like Tyron Woodley's good at a combat sport, so naturally he's going to be like really good at another combat sport. It doesn't quite work like that. And while Tyron Woodley has power in his hands, it's it's not like we've ever watched Tyron Woodley and just thought like, man, he he has a great jab or. You know, he's really putting these these punching combinations together. Yes, if Tyron Woodley lands the big right, could he knock Jake Paul out? Absolutely. He does have power. I, I completely agree with that. But can he get that shot off? I don't know. I mean, that's, uh, that's the big question. Can he, over the course of round after round, put combinations together? Uh, can he, uh, you know, I'll give him this. He is so much more athletic than Ben Askren. I at least think that there's the chance that he's going to be able to avoid getting hit the same way that Ben Askren uh, did. But, uh, yeah, I, I hope I'm wrong. I hope the the overhand right lands in the first three seconds and Jake Paul is asleep on the canvas. But uh, I don't think that's what's going to happen. You know, um, every, every fight, every lead-up to the fight, Tiwa does all these uh, interviews and you kind of really you, you dig what he's saying. Like you like he says, I'm in the best shape. I've done this. My training is uh, incredible. Um, he, he always talks a, a great game. Yes. But when he gets out there, especially when it comes to when it came to MMA, um, it's something didn't really click. And as you as you watch, as you go through his career, um, he's kind of always fought the same way. I mean, he's got he has moments of explosion. He's he's a good wrestler. He kicks well, but it's all predicated on that right hand. And he kind of waits yeah. for the for that opportunity to come and present itself. So I wonder how how he approaches a boxing fight. I wonder if he I wonder if he tries to be a, a, the aggressor or if he lets Jake Paul come to him so he can uh, be. Uh, be explosive and land the right hand. Uh, either way, I think it's, it, it, I think it's interesting, uh, but I think I think T Wood is de- he's definitely more athletic than Ben Askren. He, pu- he definitely punches way harder than Ben Askren. Yeah, uh, he's got way better technique than a Nate Robinson. So Woodley's definitely going to bring um, a level of 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 experience to this that Jake Paul hasn't seen yet. Agreed. I think. There's um, a reason why Jake Paul put in the the immediate rematch clause to this contract because I think he realizes the amount of danger that comes with fighting a guy like Tyron Woodley, but it all depends on um, how locked in T Wood is because if he's if he goes out there and he's feeling the moment, I mean Jake Paul's got Jake Paul really doesn't have much to lose like that. I mean I think um, Tyron Woodley I I think more of it. A loss hurts Tyron Woodley more. Would you agree with that? Yes. Uh, yeah, so a, a, a loss hurts T-Wood more. So I feel like Jake Paul's going to go out there and probably fight. I mean, he's going to be in front of his in front of his home his hometown. He has nothing home to city. lose. He's a YouTuber. So People view him as a YouTuber. Like, nobody views him as a boxer. He has nothing to exactly, lose. Exactly. So it's a win-win situation for him. And if he loses, he's got a, a immediate rematch clause in his back pocket. Right. So, this puts a lot of pressure on T Wood. I know he he likes to say in interviews that all the pressure is on Jake Paul, 
but but a lot of pressures on T Wood and. Uh, in the UFC, he didn't really do well when, when pressure really was at its highest. So yeah. um, we'll see how it goes in, in this one. Here's the other thing. he You mentioned him sitting back and, and trying to land the big right, and I think that's what we're going to see. I think J- Jake Paul's the bigger guy. I, I think we're going to see Jake Paul command the ring, and I think we're going to see Tyron sit back and, and try and counter with a big shot. But we, we also watched Tyron try and land that big shot when people had to be worried about potentially being taken down. Right. Like, yeah. Jake Paul doesn't have to worry about Tyron shooting. Like, he can just simply worry about the hands. Like, that's it. That's all he's got to worry about. He doesn't have to worry about leg kicks or, or Tyron yeah. shooting in. Like, that's... I, I don't know why people fail to understand this, but that's a completely different element to not have to worry about a guy coming at you and taking you to the ground... I mean, the the strike zone is tiny in boxing in comparison to MMA. Yeah, well, that that's true. But on the, on the other hand, Tyron doesn't have to worry about leg kicks or being taken down also. He has to worry about For sure. Jake Paul's hand. For sure. So, I mean, I wonder if... Um, Tyron kind of laying back and waiting for to land the big right hand had to do with uh, these guys being so good at so many different uh, martial arts. Now he's got to worry about um, a guy and Jake Paul who he knows that the right or the left is coming. Uh, and I, I want to say that T Wood he normally does a, a pretty good job of not getting hit, but uh, of course you can't really judge that off of his last fight with Luke. But going off of his career, he did a, a pretty solid job of not getting hit like that. So. Um, I mean, with Jake Paul being the bigger guy, you never know, but, uh, I think we'll see a, a more aggressive tyrant just because he doesn't have to worry about, um, the takedowns or the leg yeah. kicks or anything like that. So, but I think it's interesting because we still could see a tyrant who's laid back and just kind of lets Jake Paul, uh, unload until he can counter. I hope so, man. Go T wood <laughs> in this thing. End it. Yeah. We, we don't need to Come be having Jake Paul conversations every six months. Yeah, it's so crazy that we're doing this, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's so crazy yeah. that we're talking about a YouTuber um, being a, the main event of a big pay-per-view that millions of people are going to, well, maybe not millions, maybe, we'll see, but that a lot of people um, yeah. are going to tune into. Yeah, no doubt. Well, always appreciate it, man. It's uh, it's good to catch up after uh, last week's absence, and we will do it again uh, toward the end of this week as we get ready for another fight card next Saturday night. All right, my brother. Have a good one. Podcast is over.